The Akad and Coca Report, episode number 17. Welcome to the Akkad and Coca Report, the podcast dedicated to making sense of healthcare. From policy to economics, from evidence-based medicine to ethics, join us as Drs. Michelle Akkad and Anish Coca diagnose and treat the latest epidemic of healthcare absurdities. Okay, hello everyone and thank you for joining us. Uh, this is episode 17 of the Akkad and Coca Report. Uh, our guest today is Wesby Fisher who is a board-certified internist, cardiologist, and cardiac electrophysiologist practicing in North Shore, North Shore University Health System in Evanston, Illinois. He is a clinical associate professor of medicine at the University of Chicago Pritzker, Pritzker School of Medicine. For many years, he was known to tens of thousands of readers as simply Dr. Wes, the insightful and affable author of one of the very first medical blogs on the internet, first published in 2005. Since 2013, however, he has used his platform for activism and the happy-go-lucky blogger has become a brave heart William Wallace fighting against the oppressive forces of the American Board of Medical Specialties. He now leads various initiatives aimed at shaking down the system of regulatory, regulatory capture that rules the board certification process and holds hostage thousands of disenfranchised physicians. Wes, welcome to the show. We are delighted to have you. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. So Wes, uh, most people in the audience, I think, are, are going to be familiar with the battle that you're waging. But for those who are not, I will ask you to give us, you know, a two to three minute synopsis of what's at stake. But before you do that, can you tell us what board certification is about? Since some people may confuse it with licensing, with medical degrees or with, you know, whatever else we, we hang on our walls, you know, in, in the doctor's office. Sure. Uh, board certification is really a medical accolade, um, and that's about it. Uh, it's not required for you to practice medicine. Um, it is uh, not required for licensure, but it is an advertising uh, means for physicians to show others that uh, they have a uh, fairly healthy fund of knowledge after they complete their residency program. So that's really all it is. Um, the problem is, is that it's morphed into a bigger beast lately. Okay, so t tell us a little bit how, um, how that came about. Well, I think uh, in uh, the first American Board of Internal Medicine with whom I'm affiliated uh, was created in 1936. And uh, for the first uh, larger portion of its existence, it basically issued certificates that uh, showed that doctors could pass a test um, and uh, had an adequate fund of knowledge uh, to practice in their particular specialty within medicine. Um, it uh, basically was a lifetime certification. You want, you, it was a one and done type thing. Once you kind of like the bar exam for a lawyer, once you completed that level of expertise, you were considered that type of specialist in medicine. If you wanted to go on and subspecialize, you could also take another uh, specialty exam in that area of specialty. So uh, as things went along, you could do this once in your lifetime. You'd be considered board certified in medicine or cardiology or oncology, whatever. And uh, things uh, were fine for a long time. Uh, physicians had to, for their state licensure requirements, however, do continuing medical education. And so board certification became... Uh, the boards were decided basically to uh, begin paying themselves. This was kind of a voluntary thing that started out uh, as a way for doctors to show that they had these 
uh, acceptable accolades for medicine. Uh, but uh, the leadership of the boards uh, realized there was a lot of time involved in creating these tests, uh, basically wanted to make it a full-time job. And so back in the late 70s, early 80s, began to try to see if they could maybe create new sources of revenue uh, and see if they could make maybe a super uh, accolade that they could uh, give to an internist. And that became the advanced achievement in internal medicine is what they called it. Uh, and they tried to give that test uh, beginning in uh, about 1980, I think it was, um, and uh, to a, a fairly large number of internists. They had a 93% pass rate. Um, and unfortunately, in subsequent years when they tried to issue this test, uh, fewer and fewer people were applying. And they realized this was not going to be a long-term solution for their financial crisis that they were encountering because they were running out of money. So what they did instead is said, you know what, we can't do, we can't operate this way. We need to make uh, these lifetime certifications because there's only so many doctors out there. We're going to make them uh, time limited. And therein began the uh, issuance of time-limited boards beginning initially in 1986 for geriatric medicine, 1987 for critical care medicine, and 1990 for all other subspecialties in medicine. So now every 10 years in internal medicine subspecialties, we have to recertify. And they kind of got this idea from the family practice doctors who created their certification process in 1969 and theirs was always time limited. So, and they realized they were making a lot of cash and the American Board of Internal Medicine wasn't doing quite so well. Okay, let me um, just before you go on, uh, of course, they are not saying that we are issuing time limited certificates to make more money. You know, they are saying that uh, they're issuing those because medicine has become more complicated. And when people are practicing, when they're, you know, 10 years out from their residency training, if they're not careful, their skills will atrophy or their fund of knowledge will atrophy. And uh, we can't rely on their, the continuing medical education, um, which sometimes can be, uh, you know, gotten on a, on a, on the back of a cereal box. And, uh, and therefore it's, it's good to, uh, to make the uh, certification time limited and, uh, and oblige the, the doctors who want to show that they are uh, good achievers, that they have taken the, the exam again. Doctors are really good achievers, that we know, okay, and um, they're very good at studying and they're very good at taking tests. The problem is, is that uh, this recertification process doesn't test what it really takes to be a doctor. I would argue that most of us want to be able to look somebody in the eye and make sure that they're somewhat honest, trustworthy, listen well, uh, have good communication skills, have the ability to have a large fund of knowledge, uh, know where to go if they don't know something, know how to consult people. Um, medicine is very different today than it used to be. Uh, we have access to the world's information in our hand with Google and, and many of the other uh, information services that are out there. Uh, so, and the problem is that we had to do continuing medical education anyway, and you may say it's on the back of a cereal box, but there actually is an accreditation council for continuing medical education that has to approve continuing medical education to be viable for state licensure purposes. So now we're basically with uh, the time limited certification. Uh, not only did they add in the educational things, but they also 
had us do exercises where we had to survey our own patients. Uh, we had to uh, uh, do quality assurance exercises uh, above and beyond the educational stuff that we had to do. And, and they, they basically branded that as maintenance of certification. That's where the mock or maintenance of certification brand name came from. And they actually licensed that trade name in 2007. And you're wondering, you know, why did we have to do practice improvement modules? Why do we have to do all these other interesting things besides learn and do medical knowledge? And uh, this is where the kind of social justice initiative of the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Medical Specialties came in. Um, they wanted basically to uh, kind of secretly behind the scenes, they're creating a large database uh, to try and quantify uh, how good or how much of a quality physician an individual is. And uh, it's this piece of the whole puzzle that is not advertised at all, uh, but deeply buried within our contract for doing maintenance of certification is a requirement that doctors participate in a HIPAA business associate agreement. And that agreement says that we have to share our data with a little known company called cecity.com. And cecity.com happens to be a subsidiary and was recently purchased by Premier Incorporated, one of the largest group purchase organizations in the, in the United States, responsible for purchasing things for over 3,900 hospitals in the United States. So adding this information uh, that ABIM doesn't tell you that's what they're doing to databases makes maintenance of certi certification quite lucrative for the American Board of Medical Specialties and their and their colleagues, so so, so that's that's very interesting, uh, Wes. I was not actually aware of that, despite the fact that I've been following or I've tried to follow what's going on. Uh, there are so many different aspects to this this problem. Right. So, the, the when physicians have to, as part of the test or the maintenance of certification, when they have to turn in patient practice data about their patients and how they, they treat them and so forth. That goes into some database somewhere and somebody uses that information Correct. for their own purpose. Correct. And uh, around 1990, uh, the ABIM uh, renovated their office space uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, and much of that renovation was for uh, computer infrastructure and computer storage areas. So uh, again, this is all information that most people don't know, but those of us who've been kind of following the money have been uh, looking into. And um, you know, it was during that renovation that they had to disclose their art collection and things uh, that they keep on the walls and, and uh, all the, uh, you know, Rich Barron uh, mentioned um, to me when I asked him about, and he's the president and CEO of the American Board of Internal Medicine, uh, I called him up and said, hey, you know, how come you guys had to, you bought a $2.3 million condominium for yourselves uh, it, through your ABIM foundation? And he kind of stammered and hawed and said, oh, oh, oh we, well, uh, you know, that's cheaper for us to do, to put people up in a luxury condominium. Uh, that's where we put our Indian programmers who were uh, coming in to integrate all this stuff. Um, so, you know, they, he acknowledged that they were using a lot of infrastructure uh, reprogramming and things. Uh, and then we found that the ABIM is also funneling that data to the American Board of Medical Specialties, who sells it, actually sells it uh, to third parties uh, under uh, a little-known company called ABMS Solutions Limited. And that's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And so people subscribe to get uh, 
uh, daily updates to how your board certification status is doing. And of course, who wants that more than uh, insurance companies that would like to deny payments. So uh, if you expire your board certification, the insurance company almost instantly knows the fact that you have lost your certification and, and are more than happy to deny a payment to, to your patient. So um, this is a very complicated, um, undisclosed um, uh, collusion, if you will, that's going on between insurance companies. Uh, it's also very helpful for hospitals that want to uh, employ physicians rather than allow them to be independent practitioners because uh, they can use it as a cudgel to make sure that they stay in, in line. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a big mess. Wes, how, how, um, how, how, how has it happened over the decades, I guess, that the professional organizations that were supposed to represent us um, have been, or at least seem to be so complicit um, with whatever the ABIM seems to want to do. Like, I'm continuously stunned that the same, same organization, you know, the AMA that, you know, stood strongly against Medicare in 1965. I mean, it seemed like a very, it seemed like organizations, at least back in the day, were very, very much uh, in tune with or needed to be in tune with the practicing physicians. And I don't know how it's happened, but, you know, <laughs> the decade or so sut and then the 50 years or so since, you know, whatever, whatever the MOS, whatever the ABIM seems to suggest and say, we in general seem to uh, go along with. Would you agree with that? And, and if you do agree with that, why, why did that, why has that happened or how has that happened? Well, I do agree with it. And I think that's um, part of the dismay that I've felt um, in this, uh, bringing this to the attention of my own uh, specialty society, the first people I reached out to in December of 2014 when I broke the story about uh, the ABIM's condominium uh, was uh, 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 Mr. Youngblood from who happened to be the uh, president and CEO or, or the executive officer of the uh, Heart Rhythm Society and I never really heard anything back from him. Uh, I was very naive at the time thinking this was just, you know, it was such an appalling finding that, that, that they would have this condominium for themselves uh, basically paid for with our uh, recertification fees. Um, and, uh, you know, I, but I had no idea at the time in 2014, the depth and breadth of uh, the number of people who have really used uh, this, these fees uh, which are substantial across the entire American Board of Medical Specialties. This is a $1 billion a year enterprise when you look at all of the different players involved. Um, and who. So, for, for the audience, per, per physician, how much does that amount to? Just a. Well, it, you know, the annals uh, did a study looking at um, the, for the general internist, it's about $23,000 in direct and indirect costs every 10 years. Uh, and uh, for a subspecialist like myself, that may even reach as high as $100,000 every 10 years. When you consider both the direct and indirect costs, that being time away from work, time uh, 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 to travel to the testing center, to take the test, to study for the test, to take a board review course, all those things factor into those costs. So uh, it's an extremely expensive endeavor for physicians to undergo. And uh, unfortunately, our specialty societies are complicit because they make an awful lot of money on these board review courses. Uh, at the time, I took my board review, last one in 2013, 
um, just before I kind of understood what was in part of that taking it for the last time was what inspired me to, to speak out against it. It was just so cumbersome and arduous uh, and time consuming. And it really took away from, I was, you know, here I am trying to take care of people's lives and I've got these, these crazy surveys I'm supposed to be doing on patients. And it was, it was just crazy. So um, anyway, that, that really inspired me to, to uh, push back against this. And um, so, Okay, so tell us about what you, know, what you did and what sort of 2014, yeah, you reached just, the tipping point, you discovered right, the condominium. I had enough. <laughs> right, I had enough. <laughs> it was crazy. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, so uh, I talked with, uh, you know, I started writing about this on my blog and, and kind of, and all of a sudden, uh, the next thing I know, everybody's talking about it and furious and saying, this is crazy. And, and from different parts of the country, uh, Paul Tierstein put up this survey uh, asking people, hey, you know, uh, you know, uh, what do you think about this? And is it worthwhile? And, and uh, what if we created another organization? And 23,000 doctors uh, signed on to that survey, which, by the way, you can't find on the Internet anymore. Uh, but he, he paid for the survey, uh, you know, for the questionnaire to be out there and have people sign up for it. And I'm sure he got a very healthy email list from that. And that was helpful to-, to So he's a cardiologist in, uh, in San Diego, uh, right. in the San Diego area. And a prominent cardiologist, you know, had been well-known. And so he, he decided to, to try to have a competing uh, board. board organization. That's correct. Yeah, the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons, which he created, and along with uh, very prominent academic, other academic uh, physicians from across the country, uh, from Mayo and New York and uh, Brigham and a lot, lot of other uh, large names. And so uh, they were actually, uh, you know, and then he was asked to, to give a uh, point counterpoint uh, piece in the New, uh, New England Journal of Medicine. Um, and uh, I think that uh, that really launched uh, the credibility of the counterattack against the American Board of uh, Medical Specialties. Uh, but he has had a very hard time uh, having that uh, organization recognized by insurers and hospitals across the country. Uh, he's less than 100 hospitals will recognize his, his uh, organization currently. And uh, that's because the ABMS um, has lobbied on multiple levels, uh, different organizations to make sure that theirs is the single uh, accrediting body. So th tell us about that, because I think that's probably the most critical uh, aspect uh, of this whole, uh, right. uh, you know, whole issue is, uh, so how, how is ABMS, you know, influencing all, you know, insurance companies and hospitals and so forth, you know, to, to maintain its monopoly right. on the board well, certification process? Well, the ABMS is a member board um, of the uh, Accreditation Council on Graduate Medical Education. Uh, they are one organization. The AMA is another. The American Hospital Association is another. The Association of American Medical Colleges is another. The Joint Commission on Accreditation of uh, Hospital Organizations all form this large kind of umbrella organi organization called the ACGME or Accreditation Council on Graduate Medical Education. Um, and therefore, they are very influential and they all work together, okay, because it is a large umbrella organization. Uh, the AMA, as we know, uh, really only represents about 15% of practicing physicians um, and uh, today and has many, many conflicts of interest that have developed uh, with uh, 
because they own the coding scheme that all the electronic medical records use. So, and they, they make a ton of money from copyright and the sale of uh, that, the permissions uh, to use that uh, coding scheme uh, to the electronic medical record companies. Uh, they also sell insurance uh, and malpractice insurance to doctors. And, and so they have multiple streams of revenue um, and uh, many of which do not represent uh, maybe a physician's uh, first interest who it's actually in practice. Um, but uh, nonetheless, um, they are the political uh, speaking voice for physicians in the United States, so we can't ignore that. And they do have value. I'm not trying to say uh, there is no value to the American Medical Association. I think they've done some good things um, for driving healthcare policy in the United States. Uh, and not all of it is, uh, is bad. But I think we have to recognize that there are problems uh, that have been generated from, uh, and really the ABIM and ABMS both came from the AMA. I mean, they actually were a spinoff from that organization. So um, it, this has been a long-term uh, process uh, for years with uh, board certification. But what is different is they made this change from lifetime certification to time limited. With, and that allowed hospitals then to not have to change their bylaws at all. They just said, we have to have a board certified physician. It was perfect for them because then uh, even though they wanted to have a board certified physician, if you change the rules and say, well, gosh, you haven't redone your stuff, you're no longer board certified. Those physicians can lose their right to work at that hospital. And likewise, an insurance company says we only use board certified physicians if they don't recertify they can lose their, uh, uh, you know, time on an insurance panel. So, and, and let's explain that's, why that's, that's in, in the interest of the insurance companies and the hospitals to put that kind of pressure on doctors. Well, if you own the market, uh, remember when doctors used to be out in the real world and have their own practices. And uh, if, if a hospital wasn't behaving nicely to the doctor's patients, a doctor could send his patients to another hospital. Uh, right around the corner, and it would not be a problem. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, the hospital would have to kind of uh, rethink what their policies were because all of a sudden they lost the real money, which were, were the patient uh, and the flow that was coming into their facility. So um, I happen to be old enough that um, I was board certified lifetime in internal medicine, but crossed the border in 1990 to where I have to recertify in cardiology and cardiac electrophysiology. So I still remember those times. And, uh, you know, it was also very clever that they grandfathered anybody that was boarded before 1990, you didn't have to recertify. And that still holds true today. Uh, so those older physicians can still continue to bill and can still continue to be on hospital insurance panels. And it worked to these organizations favor because uh, they didn't have any pushback from the older guys who were more likely to be influential. Younger doctors today, they're so scared of losing their job and not being able to work in, uh, as an employed physician somewhere, right. they'll do anything. You right. know, so, and, so it matches the trend of, of uh, physicians you know, having to, to depend on the hospital and hospitals having the upper hand and employing the physicians. Uh, right. And likewise with insurance companies who actually would rather have fewer physicians in the marketplace because Absolutely. if there are yeah. fewer physicians in the marketplace, there's less uh, utilization of healthcare and, and so forth. Yeah. So what, well, what do you see? What do you see as the uh, you know you started a, a um, 
uh, a, a, well, among many things, you started you started a GoFundMe uh, page for uh, for for legal work. Uh, could you explain what exactly you're doing there? Yeah. I'm Right. Well, we first, um, I realized this is not a West Fisher uh, fight. Uh, this is really U.S. Physician, practicing physician fight. Um, and uh, because of the work that I've been writing about and things got together with a number of other uh, doctors, and we created an organization called Practicing Physicians of America, which basically we don't have any funding except for membership from other physicians. Uh, we are not uh, sponsored by uh, corporate interests at the present time. We, uh, we have applied as a 501c6, which allows us to lobby Congress and to uh, uh, serve as a uh, business league for practicing physicians. So that's what we want to be. Um, and, uh, and we're still waiting to hear from the IRS, but we expect that we will get uh, that approval uh, soon. And then um, uh, we, we also uh, started a GoFundMe page uh, so that we could begin uh, to do background research on legal uh, efforts uh, to combat uh, this uh, regulatory capture that has occurred with board certification. We'll put all this on the, on the show notes. It'll be at um, uh, accountandcocat.com slash episode 17. We'll have all the links. Uh, to all these different organizations. What, what, what would you say was the biggest um, biggest stumbling block that you've uh, found? Like, what, what what's the what's the uh, what's the biggest what's the rate limiting step that you found? Physician, uh, ap physician apathy. I think absolutely. Uh, what I really think is happening is uh, the doctors don't believe they can win anymore. Uh, they don't uh, believe that we have the ability to go out and actually compete against these multi-billion-dollar entities. Uh, that have us locked uh, down with this particular process. And I think the American Board of Internal Medicine feels quite confident that they have a lot of backing from in industry uh, uh, associates that uh, they've been working with for years. Uh, and for that reason, I think physicians think, you know, why do I want to waste my money putting, uh, you know, kind of throwing this into the bin? But there's a new thing that's happened uh, in the legal world uh, lately, and it's uh, specifically designed for underdogs. And that's the use of litigation funders. And uh, when I was going, I showed some of the tax uh, information from the ABIM to a federal judge here in Chicago because I couldn't find a legal team in Chicago that did not have a conflict with the American Medical Association. Uh, it was, uh, they, they use them all. So that therefore, if you try to go in and combat against, you know, the large uh, law firms all have uh, business dealings with the American Medical Association. So therefore, those law firms can't help you. Uh, and that's very helpful for the AMA and not real helpful for the little guy. So I went to a federal judge um, and asked uh, her, I said, uh, you know, who, who, if you had this problem, we happen to just, uh, she happened to be married to one of my colleagues. And I said, you know, how would you do this? And she said, well, send me the stuff you have uh, and we'll, uh, let me look at it and see if it's, I might have somebody that you could, that I could refer you to. And so I, uh, I sent her the packet of information that I'd accumulated much for the Ohio testimony that I'd given for the anti-mock bill there. Uh, and uh, she got right back to me the next day and said, oh my God, do you have a lot of stuff here? 
And she said, I think I know the guy. Let me give him a call. I'll reach out to him. And then if he's, and, and you mind if I send him this packet? And I said, no, go ahead. It's already public information. And she did. And the next thing you know, we communicated. And uh, so uh, here we are. We are now uh, raising funds to um, do pre-litigation investigation into the antitrust and the um, uh, fraud aspects of uh, what the ABIM did to uh, develop their regulatory capture of physicians. Um, we have a very strong, uh, believe we have a very strong case for both uh, fraud and other uh, things that are going on, particularly in the antitrust area. Uh, the antitrust implications are much broader than uh, today. The AOA had to settle their antitrust uh, uh, issues with uh, osteopaths because uh, they tied it to AOA membership um, and uh, had to settle. But uh, the reality is, is that we're going to um, go much further. And, uh, the, you know, the people who may be involved are the insurers and, the, you know, hospitals and everybody. Uh, so there is a deep pocket uh, that the lawyers are very interested in tapping. Um, and so, uh, it's, it, I think it has a, a great potential to move forward. That's great. But just to be clear, so the nature of the claim would be that uh, the boards have maneuvered to try to maintain their monopoly, right? right? They, they've maneuvered with uh, hospitals, with insurance companies, and so forth. There was at some point when the, um, the doc fix bill uh, came out, there was, uh, there seemed to be, and I haven't followed, uh, evidence that they had maneuvered uh, Congress as well to to insert language about uh, did that did that happen oh, or well there is uh, I don't know what happened with uh, or which bill you, you're speaking about specifically I can tell you for the Accountable Care Act uh, obviously the American Board of Medical Specialties heavily lobbied Congress to make sure that maintenance of certification was a quality metric in the ACA law mm -hmm. Uh, so that's all incorporated in there already. And uh, so that's, uh, and we've got the letters that they sent to the congressman and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you'll appeal to the, uh, the, 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 the Sherman Antitrust uh, Act or? Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. So, you know, and I think the bigger issue here is the fraud aspects. Uh, the amount of uh, uh, tax fraud that we believe has happened has been substantial. Uh, and along with the tax fraud came all of the uh, false claims that are going, going on about how this stuff improves patient care and the public needs it and all this kind of stuff that basically is nothing more than propaganda. Most of the public doesn't know anything about board certification. Is it helpful or is it distracting to have, in a way, two separate claims? One, uh, the antitrust and the other one is the, the fraud issue or the, you know, the, the misuse of, uh, of funds and, and, and that sort right. of thing. Well, I think that um, uh, I really can't disclose exactly how we're going to go about this because it's actually been quite interesting to discuss. Uh, but uh, let's just say that there, uh, things are moving very quickly and uh, there's a lot more meat being put on the bone currently than, than uh, even I was aware of. So I think that um, it, it's actually a pretty exciting uh, effort. I, I didn't really think we could do this because when I walked into the lawyer's office, they looked at me and they said, you know, you don't have enough money for this. And I said, 
well, I get it. I mean, I'm just a, a doctor, you know, one guy, and, and they looked at the scope of what we're, we're, you know, what I'm talking about. And I said, well, thanks for giving me the time. I really appreciate it. I just wanted to see if you thought there was some legitimacy to this. And I was about to walk out and they said, well, wait a minute. Uh, we might have a way you could fund this. And uh, for the first time, when they told me about the litigation funders and how they work and that these guys, this is what they do and they love underdog cases. I was like, I finally felt like maybe there's a chance we could actually do this. So it was a very exciting time. Uh, I walked out of there. I hadn't felt that good in four years after writing about this forever. I was feeling some, quite defeated. Uh, but honestly, I think that uh, I, I feel about as good as I've ever felt in this fight. And I, I, I wish I could convey that. Maybe this podcast will help do that to the other physicians out there. There really is a way to do this. We are happy to, to play our part <laughs> <laughs> as much as possible. Wes, would you say that uh, there's, uh, sorry, Michelle, would you say that, um, you know, lots of, lots and lots of physicians, young, old, et cetera, are, are uh, you know, yearly plopping down uh, money for the ACC or the uh, whatever uh, dermatology board, whatever, you know, ABMS uh, right. boards there are. Uh, would you say a better use of their funds would be to, um, uh, to, 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 to not go along with that and to fund uh, you instead? Uh, you know, I don't want to make anybody have to lose their job. And unfortunately, that's where people are right now. But if they didn't send money to their, I, did, I don't send money to the ACC anymore. Okay. Yeah. What's the, and, I, and I stopped going to the yeah. HRS meeting uh, for one year, but I rejoined only because socially, it's the only social activity I have with any of my colleagues. But uh, uh, I think that um, I would encourage people if, if they have room to move in that area, certainly, you know, and we're not asking a lot of money. We're, we're talking, you know, one nice night out with your wife, if you, you know, for about that same, you know, a hundred bucks is not too much for most physicians to be able to cough up. What I've been impressed by, we don't even have 600 physicians so far in two months of asking for money. Uh, for this effort. And um, that's very disappointing. I, I, I sent out an email and we did a survey um, and it showed that 8% of doctors who undergo maintenance of certification felt harmed from the process. Um, and uh, that translated to 394 doctors uh, in a, in, out of 7,007 uh, that we heard back from in our survey. Uh, and, and that that was telling um, and the type of harms were very broad based from people losing their job, having to relocate, people losing their ability to take insurance payments and uh, one of the largest were the psychological impacts uh, to a physician that no one talks about, uh, about how humiliating this is for physicians if they were to fail something after practicing for 10 years. Uh, these are not slackers, these are people who work, take call, 24 hours a day, work their fannies off and have done so to, um, uh, to keep practicing and take care of patients. And that's really what we're talking about here. We're not talking about somebody who can pass a test, for goodness sakes. So unfortunately, um, the boards want us to think that the test is equivalent to caring for patients. And there's just no way we can uh, equate the two. I agree uh, with you. And, and I agree that um, I think if we can show... What you just described about the, you know you're being hopeful um, 
with this lit litigation process is very important to broadcast and we'll try to do our part to spread the word because uh, I suspect that, uh, that you're right, that people feel or have felt that this effort is uh, fruitless. Right. And, um, and, and I hope they'll be encouraged to find out that, that it is not. And, and no matter what, I think people should fight back <laughs> because, you know, it's the cure to burnout. Uh, you know, everybody's burnt out and, and it doesn't get better by just, you know, crawling no. into your corner or, or finding other distractions. I mean, this is yeah. our professional we have, we... life. We need to, to find it exciting. We need to, uh, to, to fight for a good cause. So I certainly have contributed to your, your fund uh, and I, I will encourage everybody else to do the same. I just feel like it's a failure of, you know, the little representative democracy that we have, right? Meaning if, if for instance, if, if the ACC, I mean, why is ACC not saying something uh, more strongly? Why is HRS I'll not I'll tell you why, because I, I think, you know, they engage in the same kinds of things that- No, 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 I, I, I know. was alluded to, so-, so. <laughs> I know why, I know, I know why, but, but they, they, will not, they will not sing the same tune if the rank and file abandons them, right? If, right. If, if the next yeah. ACC meeting has, 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 has three-fourths the attendance that it had last year. I can guarantee you there's going to be some, you know, uh, there, there's going to be some, you know, uh, noises coming from the top. But, you know, instead we go along. You know, there was this, there was this, I, I keep seeing these tweets from, and, I, and I'm targeting AC. I don't mean to target the ACC. I'm, I'm a cardiologist, so <laughs> that's why, that's why, that's why I'm targeting them. But, 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 you know, I see these meaningless tweets from the ACC about legislative agendas and, oh, let's all meet and let's all meet in Ohio and let's all meet here and let's do what. And I, and I, and I, and I send a tweet back to them saying, what exactly are you advocating for? Like, I mean, I, you know, right. what, 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 no response. So I feel like a lot of ACC legislative stuff and, you know, it, 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 it is some like giant camp that they go to and socialize and, and, and it is, you know, uh, they're not understanding that they're there to represent the rank and file for meaningful stuff. And, and there's nothing more meaningful right now. Well, sorry, there, there's few things that are more meaningful right now for the practicing physician than, than the stuff with certification. Right. right. But the bottom line is that I think uh, just like the AMA, they have found sources of revenues that don't depend on having a, a broad membership. So even if they lose members, you know, they have their uh, databases, their quality databases, the NCDR, the, uh, you know, the Heart Rhythm Society has a similar uh, thing for, uh, you know, these registries. They have other ways of, of, um, of, of getting income. Um, and so I don't, for the time being, I don't see them. Uh, I really don't see them uh, responding to the needs of, of the individual. No, when you, when you figure that an individual hospital pays them $40,000 a year for access to their, a single NCDR database, wow. that's a pretty good chunk of change, you know, and why, who needs doctors when you have that? And do you see anybody pushing back about the, the plethora of nurse practitioners that are invading hospitals? Today, I, I made rounds and there's a nurse practitioner in the ICU managing one of our patients. I'm like, where's the ICU attending? it's a lot cheaper to pay uh, a nurse practitioner, you know, uh, who doesn't have nearly the training uh, to sit in the ICU and, and manage patients on a day-to-day -day basis. So, and they don't have to do this maintenance of certification hoopla, you know, so from a business standpoint, if I was a hospital, I'd be like, heck yeah, let's get more nurse practitioners in here because they're cheaper. And, uh, you know, I, I think re re really that's what's going on. Uh, we're seeing primary care doctors, and other specialists being replaced by uh, less educated and experienced individuals. And this, so this whole thing plays very much into the hospital's hands and insurance company's hands. Yeah. 
But I agree. I agree with Michelle that the, that the uh, ACC now is turning into the AMA with their databases. Uh, they that's they, they found their their money uh, pipeline here, and it's uh, it sure isn't doctors. Uh, you know, just look at our GoFundMe page. <laughs> you know, doctors are tough to extract money from, but boy, a hospital system that wants data or an insurance company that wants data, man, they got money to to spend and. Uh, it's a very lucrative uh, playbook by which to go by. Of course. Well, Wes, I'm, I'm very encouraged by everything that I've been hearing today from you. Uh, frankly, I, I, when we, you know, I went into this conversation here thinking, well, you know, maybe this is a chaotic uh, mission here, but, but this is great. This is great. I, I share your enthusiasm. I'll continue to support you. Um, where, uh, you know, before we wrap up, Anish, did you have any other questions on, on this topic? Uh, I don't. Yeah, go ahead, Anish. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I wonder the um, is the just just to clarify the, the litigation that is that's ongoing uh, that is uh, dependent on funding uh, from this from the, the the GoFundMe stuff or 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 this this litigation this this litigation thing has separate funding that you're able to get from the eventual suit or how, how does it work? Yeah, that's a really good question because I I didn't know much about it either. Um, uh, this initial part is, is strictly the investigation and to write the claims. Uh, the issues about the claims is you don't want to get them dismissed in court. Okay, they need to go to discovery. Once they go to discovery, everybody is in, you know, wants to settle right away. Or if they take it to court, they're going to they're gonna try and drag it out as long as they can. Uh, we probably will not get funding until such time as, as an actual suit is filed. Uh, but once it's filed, then the potential to get litigation funding exists. And uh, because then you have all the terms of the litigation already and you know who the players are and you know who's what. So uh, we've been very careful not to disclose who are, uh, the litigants are and who the legal team is at the current time uh, for that reason. That will only be disclosed once the filing is made. Uh, you know, but... Uh, you know, suffice it to say that that in the terms of the litigation, obviously, are very important. You know how how many claims, how or you know how many uh, complaints, that kind of thing. Um, I really can't share at this time, but um, suffice it to say, uh, there's there's plenty of meat for the bone, and uh, I think that. Uh, I, as we've gone on in this process, we're already working with the team. Uh, they've agreed to cap the funds uh, for themselves uh, to the GoFundMe amount that we've talked about. And uh, that uh, will suffice. I would love to see our GoFundMe way exceed that because there will be additional funds needed after the filing uh, for the legal team to move it forward and put it before legal funders, that kind of thing. So the litigation Funding is going to be an issue, uh, but I think it's very doable, particularly given what we know about the uh, the complaint at the current time. That's great. That's great. Very Thanks. important information. Yeah, go I ahead. I just wanted to highlight one thing. You know, one of the things that that uh, the ABIM and, and uh, uh, Rich Barron uh, do say uh, in response in rebuttal is that you know the public wants the certification. The public wants this notion of, of quality, right? But as you saw, I mean, as we all see who are practicing and as as, as Wes just said, you know, no one, no one's asking uh, for nurse practitioners who are essentially, you know, taking over. We lost Anish. Oh, and that's okay. You hear me? I, I hear you. Oh, you hear me. Oh, yep. we lost Michelle. 
Oh no, he's frozen, frozen in time. <laughs> Anyhow, for, for the for the podcast, you know, just no no one's this whole rebuttal that the public wants this quality is kind of uh, kind of laid waste by this by the proliferation of uh, physician extenders and NPs that are that are all out there and and they don't have MOC certification and where is the, is the public clamoring for some type of MOC certification for them? I'm sure the, these guys will eventually figure it out and expand some type of lower level thing to them, but. But this is all this expansion of service delivery is happening, certainly without them. So, right, right. Absolutely. And I think that we're seeing that more and more. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, doctors should feel encouraged. This is not a, a Quixote type, right. that Don Quixote thing going after windmills. We're actually trying yeah. to, and, and we've got a good team behind us with uh, the board members of the PPA. So it should okay. be, should work out. Now, one, wonderful and just amazing uh, tireless work. I don't know how you do it. So uh, thanks. Uh, thanks Wes, where thanks can so people, you want to shout out uh, some links where people can follow you and then I'll have those on, on our uh, show notes. Sure. Uh, the Dr. West blog is a good place to start. Um, uh, HTTP uh, colon backslash backslash uh, drwest.blogspot.com. Uh, you've got uh, the uh, GoFundMe. Actually, practicingphysicians.org is also a good place to go. Uh, Your and, Twitter handle? And my Twitter handle is at Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R West, W-E-S, um, all one word, uh, is my Twitter handle. So that's a good place to follow if you want to learn more. Um, I think that the timeline for what we're talking about is, uh, unfortunately, I've got a little summer break coming for the lawyers soon. Uh, but we're hoping around Labor Day to be able to have uh, the first rough draft of the full complaint to take a look at and we'll see what uh, it'll be up to the board, uh, whether we need to revise and, and uh, you know, and then the timing of filing, uh, if we decide to go forward, um, will be up to us at that point. But it's, uh, it, there's plenty of information to be had and certainly it's a very, very complex story. Part of the challenge that the legal team has is keeping it simple enough so a judge doesn't just say, forget it, I'm not going to get involved in this. So uh, that's, uh, I have to trust the people that we're working with. Uh, these people are not rookies. They've done this before. Um, so this should be an interesting time. Wes, thank you so much. Oh, you bet, thanks guys. Thanks for spending and, time with us. Oh, and yep. thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for listening to the Akkad and Coca Report. Subscribe for free on iTunes or Stitcher at akkadandcoca.com, where you'll find detailed show notes, our blog, and more. akkadandcoca.com.